Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a show for 20-somethings that are trying to figure out adulting. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Each episode, we focus on solving a problem that we will face throughout this defining decade that wasn't covered in the classroom. This could include topics about our career, health, relationships, and money. Let's get into it. For many of us, student loans are a huge financial burden throughout our 20s and well into our 30s. Student loans can be hard to keep up with because payments can be the same amount as mortgages. But unlike mortgages, I'm guessing you didn't spend too much time understanding this debt before agreeing to it. I know that was the case for me. I went through all of college without understanding the difference between subsidized and unsubsidized loans. And don't worry, if you're still in that boat, we'll get right into that at the beginning of this episode. In college, it's easy to forget about how we are financing our current stage of life, but now we are left holding the bag. Although student loans can be complex, deciding on a repayment strategy doesn't need to be. There are a couple key questions to ask yourself to put you down the right path. We'll explore those questions and more on today's episode. Joining me is Andrew Paulson. Andrew is a student loan consultant and co-founder of studentloanadvice.com. He has a passion for helping people find solutions to complex financial problems. In this episode, Andrew and I will get straight into it. We start with the basics. What are the key pieces of information you need to know before deciding on a repayment strategy? Then we'll discuss repayment plan options, qualifying for student loan forgiveness, and balancing student loans with your other financial goals. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the certified student loan professional, Andrew Paulson. Super excited for you joining me on the podcast. I didn't realize how fun researching this topic was going to be. I really didn't know a whole lot about student loans. And to give some flavor of where, or some context to where I was coming from, I bootstrapped my way through college. I paid a lot of college through scholarships, um, student loan, or the, uh, what's that one program, the, um, when you work on campus, (laughs) Oh, oh, um, well, don't they, don't they give you a big reduction in tuition, right? By doing yeah, that. Yeah. They, they, they work study grant. There we go. Uh, work study grants. And, um, I took subsidized loans, um, but that was really it. And then every semester I just tried to pay the difference with what I saved from the semester prior. So coming out of college, I really didn't have that much in student loans. I gave myself that six month runway after graduating before it became interest bearing to get that amount saved up. And then the day before that it was going to become interest bearing, I just paid off the difference and moved forward. So I never really had, I never really had the chance or really the impetus to dive deep into student loans and really to understand how I would go about repaying for my student loans. That was until researching for this conversation, super interesting, but also I can see why people would be so overwhelmed if they were in that situation, because it is so complicated. And I took student loans and I don't know so many of these things up until then. So I think a great place to start in this conversation is probably just the basics. So if a friend came to you, this panicked friend, knowing that income January, they're going to start paying on their student loans, where would you start? What information would you start looking for? Yeah, let's, you know, really a, a bit of 101. First thing you want to do is understand how many loans do you have? What are the balances? What are the interest rates? Are they subsidized? Are they unsubsidized? Are they federal student loans? Are they private student loans? So that's the very first thing is take an inventory of where you're at. 
if you don't know what all those are, if you have federal student loans, you can go to studentaid.gov, log into that portal, and it's going to tell you all your federal student loans. And if you had some private student loans, some people end up taking those out for undergrad or graduate programs. You can find those by just getting a credit report. And on your credit report, it's going to show all of the different loans that you have. But that private servicer as well should be sending you a, a loan statement and, and you know, letting you know that, okay, payments are coming up. And it, for, for most of you that are out of school, you're going to know who that is because you're starting to make you know, significant monthly payments to that. And so if we kind of peel that back a layer, you know, the two main types of, of student loans out there are federal and private. So, you know, like you were talking about, you took out some subsidized student loans. So there's two main federal student loans, there's subsidized and there's unsubsidized. Subsidized just means that while you're in school, there isn't any interest that, that's accruing on them. For your unsubsidized, the minute that you take those out, those begin to accrue interest. So let's say you had a, you know, a $10,000 student loan, it's got a 7% uh, interest rate, you know, each year it's growing about $700 a year. That's even while you're in school. So that's starting to accumulate some interest. Okay. You have variable interest rates. You have fixed interest rates for most of you that are borrowing federally, that borrowed federally for school, they're going to be fixed. So that means that they're not going to change, you know, even as, as interest rates over the years have actually gone down, the government doesn't drop your interest rate with that, it stays level at whatever it is at, at the time that you took it out. And depending on when you borrow, they could be lower, they could be higher, but they're generally in the six to 8% range for grad school. And for undergrad, they're in the three to five-ish range just for federal student loans. And then private, they're a little bit more across the board where sometimes they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, some are fixed, some are variable. So that's just a, a high level sense of the student loans that you take out. And usually there's a maximum threshold that you can take out at the undergraduate level federally. And then whatever you need above that, you can have your parents actually sign off and take loans on your behalf, or you can take out private student loans to help finance your education. And if you do get to the graduate level, there is no limit on the amount that you can borrow federally. You could borrow $250,000 per semester, you know, if, if that was the tuition, the books, your housing and all that in there. I mean, I'm not saying you would, but, but you hypothetically can. So that, that's kind of a, a very high level of the different student loans. And then from there, you got to figure out, okay, what do I need to start paying on these? What are my different options? And there's a number of options for federal student loans. And there's a number for, for private. You can be doing interest only. You can be doing payments where you're actually covering your interest and your principal. Or you could even be on a, a repayment plan that's based off of your income, which can, can tend to be pretty beneficial for those of you that are just kind of just out of school starting to make, make payments. Yeah, makes sense. I think we'll get into a lot of that conversation around repayment strategy. But let's talk current state. So I looked at some stats. You can correct me if there's anything wrong. I think like the, uh, I, I think I got this from one of your blog posts actually, but it's like $1.7 trillion in student loans that are out there. It's only like second in debt behind mortgage, which is absolutely insane to me that that, that is still the case. And I think actually I can just find it here because I'm pretty sure I wrote it down. So 45 million borrowers out there. So one in five adults have student loans, which phew, crazy as well. And then um, 
do you know the average student loans, like how much debt people are coming out with um, whenever they graduate school? Yeah, I think it's it's like thirty six to forty thousand dollars is is on average the what what people on average take out. Wow, from school. Yeah, and um, clearly that might be weighted down too by some people that only take a little bit of loans out, um, maybe because they were only in for a semester, or you know they got everything paid up until maybe their last semester or something like that. So I'm assuming it might be a tad higher for most people. So I can totally see why this is an anxiety-driven um, debt out there. But luckily for most people right now, 92% of the loans are federal loans and the current state of federal loans are there in forbearance. Can you talk a little bit about what that means um, and, and where we're at with student loans? Yeah, so uh, what happened March of last year when COVID hit, every all, all federal student loans, I'm talking about direct federal student loans, payments were put on hold and interest was also halted. So those of you that have FFEL loans or family federal education loans, it's, it's another time of type of uh, federal student loan that was issued back before from 2010 and, and earlier, those you actually had to make payments on. But the majority of you out there that have these direct federal student loans, you haven't been making payments or, or and haven't had interest on those since March of last year. And that was put in place, you know, as, as an emergency measure during COVID to provide you with relief, uh, you know, for, for those of you, for, for, for a variety of reasons, but, but essentially to help you out in terms of from your financial situation. And those payments are set to resume this coming February 2022. And that, that, that payment resume was pushed back about six different times. At first, it was, okay, they're going to come back at the end of 2020. And then it was, okay, actually early 2021. And then it was September. And now they have said that February is the final date. So that means you're going to have to start making payments on your, your federal student loans again. And those interest rates are going to kick in. So not only have you not had to make payments, but this has been a huge benefit for those of you, you know, with your interest rates, because it's probably saved a lot of you thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars in, in interest costs alone. Wow. So you mentioned um, last year, last year is March of 2020. So just in case you're listening in 2022 right now, just wanted to give a little bit of clarity to that. So as of November, 2021, we are 21 months into this. Sounds like this is a for sure thing. This repayment or repayment is going to start come February, 2022, or is there a potential for another push out? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't doubt that, that things could get changed <laughs> up, right? Like there's there's been so many changes in the student loan realm. But, you know, because this comes from the Department of Education, government lawmakers, they, they can change things. But in the past, when they ended up moving the goalposts back and moving back the payment resume, they've usually given us a two-month time period just, you know, so, so because there's 44 million, you know, 40 million people that are going to start making student loan payments again, come February, that's a massive amount. And like you said, it's about one fifth of the country that are starting to make payments again. So there's a huge administrative side of things behind that. And um, so I feel like if they were going to move it back again, we would already know that they would do that. Yeah, so I feel sense. like this is this is the final one. And I would definitely plan that it will be as well. Okay. Have you been advising people to continue to pay on their loans during this time? Or do you tell people to hold off on paying loans right now? 
Yeah, it, it depends if you are going to, if, I know we'll talk about this more, but if you're not doing a loan forgiveness program and you're just paying these off, you know, it's, it's hard not to be starting, starting to pay on these because these are interest-free loans. Yeah. So I think about it from a perspective, as long as you're paying yourself first, you're putting money into those retirement accounts and, and then, you know, using money to, to start paying down on your student loans. I think that's a great, great idea right now. So for those of you that are, that are paying, that are just going to pay them off. Yes. And then for those of you that are utilizing loan forgiveness, like let's say you're, you're going to do public service loan forgiveness, the 10 year taxable tax-free forgiveness track, you should be putting that money on, you know, saving that on the side because anything that you pay towards that loan, you know, doesn't, it doesn't come back to you at at the end of the day. So that, that means I'm putting money uh, in other areas uh, all along the way. So Yeah, that, I think that makes sense. I, I think even if you do want to start setting that money aside, it probably made sense for you to hold on to that money and put it into an emergency fund, or I think you call it like a side fund. I've heard yeah. you mention that a few different times as well, because why not hold that money right now? You're not accruing interest. You're not really doing yourself a whole lot by paying um, paying on your loans right now. I also found out, and um, correct me if this is wrong, but you could actually ask your servicer for that money back if you did make payments over this last 21 months. Is that right? Exactly. So a lot of my clients were kind of freaked out, you know, March, March of, of 2020, when they said you don't make any payments and they just couldn't wrap their head around that. They're like, okay, there's no way that this actually happens because if, if you're doing, you know, a loan forgiveness plan, you have to make a certain amount of payments and the way that those count is by making a monthly payment, but because you're not making a payment, people were scared that they weren't going to be getting a count or a credit towards one of those loan forgiveness programs. So they made those monthly payments, you know, despite hearing and hearing from the servicer that they didn't need to. But but then, you know, as, as news has come out that yes, those will count, you can actually call up your loan servicer and have them rebate that money back to you. And they are required to do that? Yes. Okay. Yes, they are for, nice. for direct federal student loans. Okay. What's the difference between direct and indirect? I didn't really get that. Oh yeah. So, so you're talking about direct and FFEL. So when, when you're going and you're taking out student loans right now, when you're getting a federal student loan, you're going to get a direct student loan, which means it's issued directly from the federal government. Okay, so that's that's everybody ever since 2010. If you borrowed back before 2010, what you might have taken out was a family federal education loan program, which was also issued directly by the federal government, but it's actually it was backed by a, a private bank or a private lender at, at that time. Whereas now the and, and, and guaranteed by a bank, whereas these direct student loans are actually guaranteed by the federal government. So that's a little bit of the difference. I know, very nuanced, kind of a complex thing. But most people before 2010, about 75% of people, you know, their their school, they would offer them these FFEL instead of direct because about 75% of, of schools, that those were the loans that they were issuing back then. So, you know, some of you are going to have those FFEL loans, um, and, and but, but most of you are going to have those, those direct federal student loans. And, and the way that they're treated is, is a little bit different, which can make it a little bit more complex on the way you pay them or the loan forgiveness and, and even interest rates. Because a lot, some of these FFEL loans that were issued, 
back before the, the recession of 08 and 09 were variable, you know? So some of you got lucky and you've got super low interest rates below 3%. And then some of you end up, ended up having higher, like somewhere in the seven, eight or 9% range. So there's so much nuance in this space, man. I'm assuming you come from a pretty deep background on student loans. I'm guessing you maybe worked through student loans yourself. What's your story? Yeah, I, you know, got into school and I studied accounting and, and finance. I actually, for a time, wanted to be a professional golfer and I got to college and I realized that there's only 200 people right now that are playing on the PGA tour. And there's 50 million people in the U S that are playing golf. And I just ran those odds and realized that I needed to start focusing on my academics <laughs> <laughs> and started to really shift my focus and, and do that. But I, you know, I wanted to study accounting because it would give me a good foundation of businesses because I liked how they run. How do they become profitable? And I was just really curious in that and was interested in entrepreneurship, but I, I was fortunate where I had a lot of scholarship from athletics and from, from academics that I didn't come out of school after my undergrad and my, my graduate degree in accounting with student loans. But I, I met uh, my wife who she had student loans from, from nursing school. And so that was kind of our first you know, step into student loans and trying to figure out what we do. Do we just pay these off? You know, there's a high federal interest rate. Should we you know, look at loan forgiveness because as a nurse, there's, there's a number of forgiveness programs that she could pursue in there. And at the end of the day, we just decided to pay them off. And, um, and then I, you know, I had taken a job at that time in, in the finance world, worked in the investment industry. And then I was approached by an, an organization named the, the White Coat Investor. It's a large financial literacy platform that, that was created as a blog to help doctors. And then it became Dennis healthcare. And then it just kind of spanned to high earners of helping them manage their money and not get ripped off by financial people. And they had so many people that had student loans, large think mortgage size student loans. And they're like, Hey, Andrew, we know you've got a background in finance. You know, something about, you know, student loans, having witnessed it firsthand, would you be interested in helping us set up this business? And I was like, yeah, I've been doing my corporate job for three years and I, I'd love to do that. So I came from it from this background of, of experiencing student loans firsthand, having, you know, an understanding of you know, finances and spreadsheets. And then I actually did a designated course that's called the Certified Student Loan Professional, which is a, a specialized course, really the gold standard in student loan advising. So I could really round out my understanding and be able to give people good advice and recommendations on how to get out of student loan debt as soon as possible in, in the best way. What I'm getting from that is you're legit, man. <laughs> you're legit. <laughs> well, let's get into some more nuance now and kind of picking a repayment, a repayment plan. And you had a great blog article out there where you lined out four different questions. I want to work through these questions. And I think that's going to triage us into both forgiveness and refinance. So first up, you asked the question, are you going for loan forgiveness or paying them off? What are you looking for in this question whenever you're asking that? Yeah, you know, it depends on what kind of a job you're in, okay. right? Are, are you working at a for-profit entity? Are you working at a non-for-profit? Are you working at a, at a 501c3? Are you working for a government institution? That's kind of the first, the first thing to look at because if you're working at a, at a for-profit entity, you know, 
Amazon or Microsoft, whatever it may be, you're, you're probably just going to have to pay these loans off. And you need to be focused on a strategy that's going to minimize your interest charge over time. And, you know, kind of like what you did, it's like, I got done with school. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pay these off as soon as possible. Yep. But but for some of you that are going to be working in, in the, in the you know, the, the public sector at a non-for-profit or a 501c3, there's a multitude of loan forgiveness options out there for you. And they're, they're very, very beneficial. And for most, if you can be on one of those forgiveness programs, the finances and, and the numbers side of things are almost always going to work out in your favor if you do them. Okay. That makes sense. And I think that address the second question here is, are you planning to work at a nonprofit 501c3 or private practice? So let's skip through that. Now you have this question, what is debt to income ratio? What, what are some general guidelines around that? What are you looking for that might give some people or steer some people in a certain direction? Yeah. So I, I think that we, we would start with, let's say your student loan debt and your income are one-to-one. You're making $50,000 and you took out $50,000 of student loans. Usually if you're making as much as you owe in student loans per year, or, you, or you're making more than what your student loan balance is. So let's say in that case, you only had $25,000 of student loans. That's usually a recipe for someone who should just pay them off. And you could probably do that in a pretty quick manner, you know, and, and get those behind you, you know, relatively quickly and in a three to five year time period. Sure. Okay, so that's the first, the first stretch. And then let's say that, you know, you went to grad school and you took out $100,000 of student loans and you still, you know, you're only making fifty thousand. You're making fifty thousand dollars a year. Now your debt to income is two to one. This is where it gets a little bit more murky in terms of your options. You can private read. You know, you can you can start paying those down. But I'm assuming that's a couple thousand dollar a month monthly payment. Might be a lot of your monthly paycheck. So that's typically where you can start looking at some of your loan forgiveness options. And if you're working in the public sector, it's usually a shoe in for looking at one of the loan forgiveness programs named public service loan forgiveness, because you can work 10 years and you can make small monthly payments that are based off of your income. You know, if you're making $120,000 a year, it's 10 grand a month. And it's, it's based off of 10% of what your monthly paycheck is. So you'd be making, you know, about a thousand dollar monthly payment over, over a, a 10 year period of time. Maybe so you can end up saving a significant amount if, if your debt to income is more, if your debt is really more than your income, that's when I would look at employment in, in, the, in the, if you were working in the public sector. And then there is one other track that I see people doing. If your debt is three times or four times or five times, maybe you went to school, maybe you went to graduate school and you didn't end up graduating, you know, and you're making 50,000 a year and you took out 250K and your debt is five times your income. There's a loan forgiveness track that's called taxable loan forgiveness where you can make small monthly payments for 20 to 25 years. And then at the end of that period of time, you can get your loans forgiven. But the catch with it is that it's taxable. So let's say you had $200,000 forgiven in 20 years time, that's gonna get added on your tax return as income. And you know, it's probably going to get taxed. You're probably going to have a seventy-five or a hundred thousand dollar tax bill in that year. But but I do see some people that are also looking at that case. So that that's a huge you know factor when you're determining the way to to address your student loans is what is your debt to income. Yeah, 
And let's double click on this question because now I have a few other questions that stemmed out of your answer there. When we talk about debt, you're talking about federal debt, correct? Because you can't go through one of these forgiveness programs if you have private debt. Yeah, exactly. Federal okay. student loan debt. Cool. So once again, whenever you went up to the front, uh, at the front of this conversation, we were talking about finding your balances, the amount of um, loans that you have, if they're federal or private, this is all good information to start collecting so that you can start answering these questions that we lay out here. Um, and then your last question that you had is, are you married and is your partner also working as well? I'm assuming that figures into um, how you file your taxes, therefore what your income might be. Exactly. And it's, it's not as applicable if you're in the, the pay down mode where your, your debt and your, your, your student loan debt and your income, federal student loan debt and income are equal. That's usually, it doesn't, your, your household situation, way to file your taxes doesn't really apply, but it can make a world of difference if you have federal student loans. And if you're looking into one of the, re, you know, repayment plan options, like let's just say, you make fifty thousand dollars a year, or and, and then your spouse makes two hundred and fifty. You know, it brings up your household income to three hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, if you're on a payment plan that's based on your income, like an income-driven repayment plan that you need to be on if you want to pursue one of those loan forgiveness programs, your payment is going to be based off of you and your your partner's income if, if you're married, and and that can be a huge monthly payment. You know, if if it's if it's looking at you know, $300,000 of income versus $50,000 of income. But there's a couple of ways that, that you can get around that. And it's, it's specific to different repayment plans. So a little nitty gritty, but there's four different income-driven repayment plans. And two of them, you can actually exclude your spouse's income through filing your taxes, married filing separately. So in that case that, you know, you're making household income of 350 or $300,000, you are making $50,000, and they're making 250, you can actually exclude their $250,000 of income from your payment calculation. So it's just based off of your $50,000 of income for the year, which can you know, drop your payment uh, significantly. But, but it gets a little more complex in terms of, well, if you file your taxes, married filing separately versus jointly, there's a difference in tax liability. But th those are like the really common things. I built a calculator to help go through those, those calculations and, and project that out over years. Interesting. Let's, um, I'll grab that link from you. I'll drop that, that calculator into the show notes in case anybody's interested in those, but now let's jump into forgiveness. You kind of opened that tab up and gave us a lot of flavor to it already. So it sounds like the first thing you're going to do is if you decide to go the forgiveness route, having it at minimum, a debt to income ratio above one, if not, it probably doesn't make sense because forgiveness, um, to be on a forgiveness plan, you have to be on an income-driven repayment plan or IDR, and that's based on either up from somewhere between 10 to 20% yeah. of your income, just depending on which one of those four income-driven repayment plans you're going to have. So if you're less than one in that, that debt-to-income ratio, this conversation or this part of this conversation um, probably isn't for you. But if you are, let's talk a little bit about that strategy. It doesn't I'm, I'm guessing it doesn't make sense to do to pay for any more than whatever your minimum payment is. Is that correct? Yes, it, it is. Okay. And um, that that's 
that is because at the end of the day, whatever's left is got to be forgiven. So you paying more to it is just essentially reducing that final balance that you're going to have. Right. Yeah. And, and those, those are dollars that, that can be used elsewhere, right? You know, every, every single dollar that you're paying, you know, if, if you're going for the tax-free loan forgiveness, like public service loan forgiveness, and if you pay $100,000 towards your student loans, that $100,000 is gone. If you could reduce it down to $50,000, well, you know, in terms of your total payout, there's another $50,000 that you say that's after-tax money, right? So the objective is to reduce your payment as, as much as possible and, and find that, that optimal strategy. Makes sense. And then two big buckets here now, public service loan forgiveness or PSLF, as I heard it mentioned many times in my research, that took me a little <laughs> bit to, to figure out what you guys meant whenever you're talking about that. And then taxable loan forgiveness. So um, that, uh, that taxable loan forgiveness alludes to the fact that PSLF is not taxable. So PSLF, a 10-year plan, at the end of the 10 years, you um, the remaining of your balance will be forgiven and you don't have to pay taxes on that, correct? Exactly. And then qualifications for that plan. What what qualifications do you have to meet? Yep. So so number one, you need to be working at a qualifying employer. That's a non-for-profit. That's a 501c3. It's a government entity, something in that realm. Okay. And then you do need to be working full-time at that employer. And so that's generally on, you know, letter of the law, it says about 30 hours on average is what you need there. And, but this could be at multiple employers. You could be working part-time at two non-for-profits or qualifying employers. And as long as that nets to that 30 hours, then, then you meet that employment requirement. Another requirement, you have to be on an income-driven repayment program. There's four of those. Well, and so income, uh, income-based repayment, income contingent repayment, revised pay as you earn and pay as you earn. But the two repayment plans, if you're on an income-driven repayment that you would want to focus on are revised pay as you earn and pay as you earn. Those other two, income-based repayment and income contingent repayment, are a bit of legacy programs and tend to be a little bit higher monthly payment. Um, and then and that's the, the last... difference between the 10% to 20%. Exactly. Income okay. contingent repayment is 20% of your, your paycheck uh, and income-based repayment is 15%. And pays you earn and repays you earn are only 10%. Makes so, sense. you know, if you were making $1,000 a month and, you know, it was 20%, well, that's $200 a month that you'd be paying an income contingent. It'd be $150 in income based repayment. And then for repay and pay, it'd only be $100. So you could cut your payment in half by just being in the right income driven repayment program. Hmm. Um, and, and then you do need. 120 monthly payments. So that's that's 10 years of payments. It doesn't have to be continuous or all at the same employer. You can do three years and then you know take a couple of years off and then come back and do seven more years. But though those are the, the requirements that you need to do with public service loan forgiveness. And you really have to dot your I's and cross your T's uh, to, to do that as there hasn't been great success thus far actually achieving that loan forgiveness program. Okay. Makes sense. And then taxable loan forgiveness. These are 20 year plans or 25 year plans. Once again, based on your income, as you were explaining through those four and that remaining balance um, will be taxed. So if you have $25,000 left on your remaining loan, that is forgiven, but your that's essentially included as income in your, your year's tax return. And then you're going to pay, and you're going to pay taxes on that. Correct. 
Yes, yeah, you will. So using your example of $25,000 that ends up after the 20 to 25 years of payments would be added to your tax return as income, and then you'd pay taxes on that in whatever tax bracket you're in. But I do want to make one, one clarification point on that. You don't have to be working in a non-for-profit or a 501c3. You can have any type of employment. You can be working one hour a week. You can be working 100 hours a week. It doesn't have a full-time or a part-time you know, rule like public service loan forgiveness has lots more flexibility in, in terms of, of careers and, and your opportunities that, that you can pick with the long-term forgiveness track. But but like I said, the numbers usually only work out when your debt is, you know, three or four times your, your income, just because you make that those payments for a long period of time, and then you got to pay that, that tax bill yeah. uh, at, at the end of the day. So makes sense. Yeah. If you, you know, pay 240, payments and plus taxes, you, you probably got to end up paying out most of what you're going to have in student loans there. So yeah, totally makes sense. Anything else on forgiveness? I know that's pretty high level, but I think that gives people a taste. Um, I'm sure some people are falling back in their chairs, maybe falling asleep right now. So I do <laughs> want to keep the pace of this conversation going, but anything else before we move on from, from um, forgiveness? Yeah. And, and there's an, and also if you're working in like an underserved area, or you're working in a disadvantage. There, there's a number of other forgiveness programs that are out there. You know, or if you work in the military, they have forgiveness programs. So it's not we're not compre- You know, we're not. The list isn't exhaustive of what we talked about today of just the taxable and the PSLF. There's a lot of other forgiveness programs. So if you're out there and you're trying to figure out, hey, what what are my different options for for you know forgiveness potentially, make sure you look into that. And there's loan repayment assistance that employers offer sometimes, and also just loan repayment assistance based on your state. So keep that in mind as well. So let's shift the conversation to the other side of the coin. These people that um, their income is significantly higher and their debt might be lower, but they still need to put together some kind of strategy around repayment. Let's talk refinance. What the hell is refinance? Whenever I say that word, I know it gets thrown around there a lot. I, I'm not really sure what that means. Um, it, does that constitute consolidation? Are those the same or different? How about you You kind of knock this or start this conversation off for us? Yeah. So refinance in it, its simplest sense is taking one of your existing loans or a number of existing loans and having a new lender pay that off for you and issuing, issuing you a new student loan. Okay. And it's, it typically is done. If you had five federal student loans, you could private refinance one of those, which means that that one federal student loan is paid off by that private student loan. And you're issued a new set of terms on that, whatever the private lender offers you. Okay. And, you know, you can, you can refinance, 10 loans, you can, you can refinance, you know, federal and private student loans together. And, you know, the, the reason why people do this is you typically are paying six, seven, eight percent, maybe somewhere in that, in that range on your federal student loans or even private student loans that you took out from school and private refinancing can offer, allow you, can, can often uh, allow you to get your interest rate down in half. You know, so if you're paying 7% on $100,000 of student loans, that's $7,000 a year of, of growth, you know, just interest charge alone. If you could get that down to 3%, you know, that, that, that changes your interest charge from seven down to three, that's $4,000 a year that you could save. And over a 10 year period of time, that's $40,000 after tax. 
and not even we're not even thinking about you know the time value of money perspective if you put that you know in some type of an investment uh, along the way so interesting and i'm guessing now is probably a pretty good time to refinance with where interest rates are right now what are some things that people can do maybe in the short term and this you know maybe six month runway to get ready for refinance, maybe to even get a better rate? Is there any strategy or things that people can do? Yes. So when you're refinancing uh, private student loans, there's a number of things that when you're refinancing, they, they look at a number of things, your income, your job history, your credit, your, uh, you know, and what, what debt you have, what's your debt to income. So if you've got some high interest debt, maybe credit cards, I'd probably try to knock those out, get those out of the way. Uh, but, but I mean, those, those are the big things that you can do and make sure that you <laughs> have a clean credit report as well as you can do. So don't, don't let those credit card payments go, go past due. Um, and the other thing to, to be aware of is that interest rates have been really low and they've been going down o- over the years. And a lot of people have stayed on the sidelines with the federal student loans at 0%. They're like, I'm taking this 0% holiday as long as I can. Makes sense. And and now there is going to be a huge amount of people that are going to be private refinancing that no longer want to be paying those higher interest rates. They want to get their interest rate down. And and so I think over the next little while, over a couple of years, rates are probably going to start getting pushed up, uh, you know, with, with inflation as the economy recovers at a out of, out of COVID and, and things will con- continue to, to work forward. You know, it's, it's just standard economics that as, as the demand, you know, goes up, you know, prices, the interest rates are going to continue to go up. Um, and, and I, a point that I forgot to mention earlier is that there's no price there, there's no cost to do a, a student that, loan. That refinance. blew me away. I did not realize that. Cause I was thinking about refinance from the mortgage side and I knew um, there's some cost involved with refinancing. So it has to make yeah. sense in terms of off- offsetting some of the fees that came with refinancing. Then I heard through research that it doesn't cost any money to refinance. That seems like something that's probably worth looking at at least once a year then if you um, are, are on some private loans or even if you have federal loans and you're kind of looking to, uh, or you're on this repayment plan, not forgiveness plan, I think it's probably worth setting up at least a calendar reminder every year, at, probably at the end of the year, whenever you're strategizing around just finances in general for the next year to go figure out what um, rates are, interest rates are right now with some of these private lenders. Yeah. And, you know, some, something to keep in mind is if, if you have a life event that happens, you get married or you get a new job or you, you know, you have a side hustle and your income goes up and income fluctuates and changes. I would definitely go in and, and apply at the private lenders. If you've already private refinanced your loan, because at this point in time, anytime you can get a lower rate, it's a no brainer to refinance your loan again, because at the end of the day, if you can get a lower interest rate, you're going to end up paying out less in interest that that's more money in your pocket over the long run. So I think that once a year type thing, or, you know, if you have a significant life change, definitely, you know, check in and, and see what happens there. So you can get a lower rate. And before people get trigger happy, and I, I caught some of those words in that sentence that you said there, if you're already private, if you already have private loans, there is some caveat that we probably want to put on um, refinancing federal loans into private loans. So what are some considerations that people should make before that making that change? 
Yeah. So if you private refinance your, your federal student loans into private loans, you're no longer eligible for, you know, taxable or public service loan forgiveness or income driven repayment. And also a huge one that, that people sometimes aren't aware of is there's a death and disability discharge with federal student loans. So any loan balance that you have, if you became disabled or you passed away before your loans were paid off, those are discharged tax free. But now when you private refinance, most people co-sign with a spouse when they private refinance. You know, when you private refinance a mortgage, a lot of people yeah. do that, right? And it makes the, the person who co-signed with you liable for those loans as well. So if you got $100,000 and let's say, you know, in the event of death or disability, the, that $100,000 would be discharged, but it's, it's not discharged tax-free. Oftentimes it's taxed on, on whatever, whatever that loan balance is. And sometimes there's no, you just have to pay it off. There, there's no discharge of it. And it's very case by case uh, from the different lenders. So just another thing to keep in mind when, when you're private refinancing is that you lose a number of federal protections by, by doing that. And then if you also wanted to put your payments on hold and go into forbearance, you know, with, with federal student loans, they tend to be quite generous where you can do that for a, a long period of time. But with private student loans, they have stricter requirements on when you can actually go into forbearance and, and the length of the period that you're in it. Makes sense. Um, but, but I don't want to, I don't want to scare people away from that because private refinance makes a lot of sense for people. Yeah. There's kind of through this research, one of two camps, this kind of fast and furious. So they see the debt out there and they're just trying to pay it off as, as fast as they can. And that probably makes sense for a lot of people, especially if student loans are your only, only debt. Um, there is some conversation. If you want to look a little bit further into it, I just Google good debt versus bad debt to start to understand that. Uh, and, you know, from the the simplest form, obviously pay off your highest, uh, the, the debt that has the highest interest rate. Um, but I, I realize there's also this psychological factor with um, debt as well. Then there's the slow burn piece to it as well. Um, you, you have a, a monthly payment and of course make those monthly payments so you're not getting penalized or more interest isn't accruing. But many people, student loans isn't the only goal in mind, the only finance goal in mind. They, there's so many competing goals with saving for a house or upgrading your car or investing for your uh, retirement or even just having some splurges in your life. So many of us are getting off the college life where we picked up free furniture and lived in um, some of the cheapest places that we can find and that we, we just want to upgrade some of our lifestyle as well. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, those conversations that you're having with your clients around whenever they have competing goals. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the old, should I be paying off my debt as soon as possible, or should I end up extending this out over a longer period of time that, you know, and if you do a longer loan payoff term, like if you did a five-year versus a 20-year, that can be a huge difference in, in monthly cash flow because then if you, if you do the shorter payment term or the longer payment term, it's usually going to allow you to put more money into retirement. And then to have, you know, like I do like a vacation fund as well that, that we save up money oh, every yeah. single year <laughs> so, that, so that we can go and have fun, right? And, and, and not just, oh, hey, you know, kind of spur of the moment, there's killer flights to Spain, let's go, let's go do that, where we have some money set aside. And so there's this, this 
you know, and everybody feels a little bit differently about, about student loan debt. Should I be, you know, extending out my, my federal, my student loan term as long as possible, because I can get a 3% interest rate on my federal, on my student loans, you know, through private refinancing, and I can get 10% in the market, or I can get 8% through real estate, you know, year after year, you know, and that's a, that's a five to 7% amount of money that I'm making on, you know, on keeping my just you know look looking at terms of the different interest rates that you have and you know I think it depends. Some people are like I really want to get this monkey off my back. It is debilitating. It is stressing me out. It's causing burnout and and this this is crushing me. And I just want to have that done. And if you're in that camp, then we're going to get your goals lined up with that and get that done as soon as you can so that you can you know, start fulfilling all the different goals that you have. But others are like, I think about it a little bit more like an income tax. I pay, you know, 500 bucks a month for the next 20 years. And that's going to allow me to have a better lifestyle. And then, you know, at that point in time, that money that I would be paying on a five-year payment plan, I'm putting that in some other type of investment. So financially, I'm going to come out better. And if you're disciplined and you can do that, you can definitely make a case for that. And I kind of fall a little bit in, in the middle there where I think you should absolutely be paying yourself, putting money into retirement accounts, and and, and then after that, paying down your student loans you know, in, in a timely manner. Sure. That's everybody's personal decision. And I think you've done a really great job laying out multiple different options for people. I can tell how excited you are about this subject matter. And that is because you do this for a living, man. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about um, student loan advice, what you guys do, uh, who you can help, um, and then we'll share out some links if people want to get connected. Yeah, very simply put, we were created to help you figure out the best way to manage your student loans, not have to stress about them and be able to focus on the things that, that matter to you. I tend to work with people that have about $50,000 in student loans and more. I've met with people that have a million dollars in student loans or even, even above that. There's, it's all across the board. And we do one-on-one -on -one consultations with you, taking into consideration you know, marital status, your income, your job, what are your goals and, and factor that all into an optimal payment pay payoff strategy, whether it's utilizing loan forgiveness or it's, it's going down that more kind of aggressive pay down strategy, which, which sometimes factors in private refinancing. We answer any and all of your questions on, on student loans. And we do that all in a one, one hour session and give you the tools to move forward and, and get these behind you as soon as possible. So awesome. And if people want to learn more, they can go to studentloanadvice.com slash SIR. You can support the show by doing that as well. You really do provide some value here. I think people with an hour, hour long consultation can really save a ton of money, have a little bit more confidence around what the repayment strategy is, um, and just alleviate some of the anxiety that student loans um, come with. It, it was overwhelming for me to start with. I only scratched the surface with all the material out there. If you are somebody that is a student and wants to learn a little bit more about this and build some more confidence as well, just going out to your website and perusing your blog, I think is well mm -hmm. worth it. You have 
lots of good content out there. You're also on some other podcasts. Um, so you can Google Andrew's name and, and you can find him out um, uh, on some other podcasts if, if you really like this audio format. Andrew, before I ask my last question, anywhere else that you'd like to direct people to if they want to learn more about you, hear some more about you and just stay connected in general? Yeah, I'm, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, Instagram. So I'm, I'm you know, continually up updating information there. So it's at student loan advice. That's how you can find us there on, on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn. If you're interested in LinkedIn, I, I don't have a, a business side, but you can just go directly to my Andrew Paulson, comma, CSLP. It's where you can follow me, where I, I'm, I'm regularly trying to keep you updated on what's what's new, what's happening, what's changing in the student loan realm, because there's there's a lot going on there. And and I and I will say also that if if you're completely have no idea where to start, we can help you there. Or if you already have a great student loan plan and you just want to make sure that this is well oiled, we can help you with that as well. Awesome. My final question for you, Andrew, if you had the opportunity to teach a 16 week class to a group of graduating college seniors, what would you teach and how would you teach it? It would be on, on financial literacy. Some, some of the components would be, you know, basic personal finance. How do you invest? Why, why should I invest? You know, what, what, are, what are the things that I should be considering? How much do I need to save up over the years to be able to retire? Also in there would, would be a component of how to talk about, you know, what to do with your student loans, you know, if, if you have them, because so many of people out there, you know, 44 million people out there in the U.S. do uh, you know, there, there's just, there's a lot of confusion on, on that and just how, how to budget, how to not overspend, uh, you know, so much, so much in, in, in the financial literacy. And you know, also another big one is taxes. Yeah. So many people don't understand what are, you know, deductions that you can be taking. And, you know, a lot, a lot of you could probably be filing your taxes on your own using, you know, one of the, one of the simple services out there and saving a couple hundred bucks. That's a thing that should probably just be a requirement for, yeah. for people to understand because so many of my clients that maybe, maybe didn't study, you know, they didn't do any business classes in school. Maybe they, you know, they, they just, they're a teacher or they're in, in public health or they're in, in healthcare and they just, they don't have a whole lot of training around that because there's, there's such a big need for that. And there's definitely a big gap there. As much as I would wish that we didn't have to educate ourselves around personal finance, we do. And the faster you get educated in that, the faster you can start helping yourself. So I think it would be a phenomenal course. Um, I would love to put people through more than just one 16-week class on personal finance. I think many of the topics that you mentioned right there could be a whole class in their own, but at minimum, just educating yourself a little bit on, on some of these topics could save you hundreds of dollars and therefore lots of stress, lots of time, lots of energy in the near future. So Andrew, it's been an absolute blast. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I had such a blast researching you. Um, really excited to, to see what's in store for you next year with all of the, the student loans coming back on and um, how crazy things might get for you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Justin. Pleasure being on with you today.
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this conversation today, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified about new episodes. If you want to connect with me, send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Justin Lee Peters. You can find show notes with links to everything we discussed today at justinpeters.co. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in.